Previously dropped into the Netherlands by Britain's Special Operations Executive, more than 50 men since 1941, had been captured and imprisoned or executed by the Germans. Recent operations had been more successful, but no one could be sure what awaited the three men now approaching Dutch soil. The reception committee, members of the underground, gathered to meet the team at the drop zone and help remove the parachutists and their accompanying supplies from the area as quickly as possible to avoid detection or capture by the Germans, had extinguished the lights marking the drop zone as soon as the three parachutists had jumped. Bringreve and Olmsted had anticipated this unwelcome action, having been briefed that this reception committee was receiving its first drop. The inexperienced resistance fighters were unaware that special operations planes typically required two passes over the small drop zones to deliver both the parachutists and the cargo of twelve-man-size cylindrical containers packed with weapons, ammunition, explosives, and other gear that accompanied most special forces teams deploying behind enemy lines. Because of this, Brinkgrev and Olmsted had persuaded the air crew to reverse the normal procedure, dropping the parachutists on the first pass and the long steel containers on the second. As the three men drifted toward the farmland of eastern Holland, near the town of Vierden and less than six miles from the German border, they spotted a truck convoy not far away. With the nearest Allied ground forces still more than a hundred miles to the southwest, the convoy was certainly German. Brinkgrev hit the soft pasture turf, collapsing and rolling to one side, leaped to his feet, freed himself from his parachute harness, and quickly located the reception committee chief. He informed the resistance man that the Sterling would be circling for another pass over the field to drop the twelve metal containers. The lights, the major explained, needed to be turned on again at once for the pilot to find the drop zone on the second pass. Not far away, Major Olmsted and the radio operator gathered up their parachutes. Sergeant Austin's carbine had caught on the edge of the hole as he exited the plane, jarring the weapon from his grasp and causing it to become tangled in his parachute. He had somehow managed to descend safely, but had landed within only a few feet of Olmsted. Major Olmsted set out in search of Major Brinkgrave while the radio operator buried their parachutes. The American had not gone far when a shadowy form approached him in the dark. As the figure drew nearer, Olmsted could just make out what appeared to be a German uniform. He drew his forty-five caliber automatic and cocked the hammer, ready to shoot the intruder. But the stranger suddenly said, "'Hello, pal.' Startled at first by the strange greeting, Olmsted challenged the man for the planned recognition signal, and then relaxed when the man gave the correct response. Olmsted lowered the pistol, easing the hammer forward with his thumb, and returned the weapon to its holster. The uniform that had appeared to Olmsted to be German was in fact that of a Dutch constabulary force, or gendarmerie, called the Marchaussee. The policeman in this case was also an active member of the underground. Olmsted followed the policeman to a spot where Brinkgrev and the reception committee chief were awaiting the container drop. Along the way the two men were joined by another man, a Dutchman who had been trained in Great Britain to organize resistance groups in the Netherlands. He and his radio operator had parachuted into the Velua region to the south nearly two weeks earlier.
but they had lost all of their equipment on the jump. The two had since made their way northward into the province called Overijssel. Brinkgrev had successfully gotten the reception committee to relight the drop zone by the time Olmsted and the two Dutchmen found him. Soon the Sterling could be heard approaching the field on its second pass. As the lumbering, roaring shadow soared overhead, less than eight hundred feet above the men, twelve parachutes opened, one after the other, blossoming against the night sky. The drop was a good one, and in a matter of seconds the man-sized containers thudded to the ground. Olmsted smiled as one of the Dutch boys on the reception committee, unacquainted with the use of containers, scampered through the darkness of the almost moonless night, darting from one parachute to the next. As each man-sized container hit the ground with a thump, the Dutchman called out, "'Hello, boys!' On the following Sunday morning, September 17th,